0: Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Okay, we ready to go? Yeah, it does sound a lot better, doesn't it? Yeah, I think my instrument is back. My instrument is back. It's been, um, well, yeah, I'm trying to think now. It's not a, quite a month, but almost from when it was starting to sound kind of crazy. By the time this is posted, it'll be probably almost a month. Yeah. Instrument is back. Instrument is back. All right. <laughs> Okay, are we ready to go? Sorry, I'm futzing with this microphone. It doesn't seem to be in the right spot. Somebody playing around with it when I wasn't here. Okay. (laughs) Are we ready to go there, Reg? Good. Okay, I'll give you the countdown. Give me the music. I'll give you a podcast. The formula seems to be working so far for more than 300 episodes, so I think we should just stay with it. Don't break it unless it's fixed. Wait, no, don't. Wait, don't fix it unless it's... (laughs) Don't break it unless it's fixed. (laughs) Don't fix it unless it's broke. There you go. Okay. (laughs) Ready to go? Put it in the books. Episode 303. All right. You ready? I am. Let's go. Star smile strong. And here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNradio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there duh but you listening every week while it's much appreciated uh, is not the end of your responsibility oh no 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 no, dear podcast listener it's your job to go out there and help spread the word send a link send a message tell your friends tell your family tell anybody you know who listens to podcasts that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic, and it should be theirs too that loyalty, that devotion, that tenacious extra effort, that extra credit point you always wanted on your test, it always boosted your score, didn't it? You know it. So get out there. Spread the word. And if you like what you hear, don't forget, go to WGNRadio.com, go to the prompt for this, go to the, for the podcast prompt, and then go to the prompt for this podcast, and you will find All, I hope, or certainly a great, great, great majority of the previous podcasts that we've done since May of 2016, there's a ton in there just waiting for you to binge on. In fact, there should be at least 302, which means only one thing. Welcome to episode 303. It's hard uh, in these recent days and weeks not to talk about, mention, opine, if you will, on on what's going on in Ukraine right now. And uh, as I record this podcast a few days before it's posted... Uh, I don't know what the outcome will be when it is posted. Uh, I would love to be able to say how completely outdated this podcast is when it posts. Because I'm talking about the war in the present tense right now. And my gosh, I would hope that maybe in the two or three days between now and when, when I'm recording this podcast and when this podcast posts, I would love for nothing or I would love for... For Is that the right phrase? I would lo- Let me just put it this way. I would love that this podcast sounds and is completely outdated. I would love that everything I'm saying right now, and will say for the next hour or so, might be proved irrelevant. Because hopefully by the time this podcast posts on March 14th, wouldn't it be great to say that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is over, that there was a ceasefire, that Russia has stopped its relentless bombings and invasions on Ukraine, and that there is a ceasefire and peace. Gosh, I, I always try my best to keep these podcasts as timely as they can be. As I said, I do record them a couple of days before they're posted. I don't post, I don't record them the neck that day and then they're posted so there is some lag time but i try to be as timely and and keep up with as much of the most updated information whatever my topic is so that when it does post on monday it is still relevant and timely but this is one of the few times that i will i will admit that i don't care if this podcast when it posts in two or three days from now is completely outdated and not timely because that would mean that the war is over, that the invasion is over in Ukraine. And I would love for nothing more than that. I think that was the right phrase. That was the correct usage that time. <laughs> but um, but we'll see. Uh, as, it, as it looks right now, as much as the Ukrainian people, are putting up a valiant and inspired and inspiring defense against this Russian invasion. The odds are certainly against them. And it only seems that the more that the Ukrainian people and its army continue to hold the russians back the more it just makes vladimir putin all the more angry and just i don't even know what the word is uh, just dedicated to proving them wrong he doesn't want to be embarrassed not only on the world stage but more importantly on his home turf Um, He is very cognizant of his popularity at home, even though Russian elections are pretty much a sham. He is up for, in quotes, re-election in 2024. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, in past elections, he's gotten 98% of the vote. I mean, (laughs) it's crazy. So I'm not sure how... um, (laughs) I'm not sure how... uh, how straight up those elections might be, but he is still very cognizant of his popularity. And certainly, and I think what's the, at the root of this senseless invasion of Ukraine is his legacy. You know, he's inching up on 70 years old. He's been the president, prime minister, whatever they've had there in certain times here. Um, for almost 20 years now. And you know, he's 70 and he's looking at his legacy and time's running out. And I'm sure that in the back of his mind, he his his ultimate goal as leader of Russia was to restore it to its past glories when it was the Soviet Union and when it was a dominant world power. It hasn't been that since the wall came down in uh, in the late 80s. And I'm sure that uh, that has been his ultimate goal. And now he finds himself 20 years into the job, 70 years old. And he's, I think he's, he's going through a major political midlife crisis saying, okay, well, that's now or never. I've got to do this. I've waited long enough. Even though there's nothing prompting this, this is completely, uh, you know, unprovoked by the Ukrainian people they did nothing except exist except want to be a democracy except want to be free that's their only sin and uh, you know he has just uh, completely uh, manufactured a conflict and picked on a uh, a country that he certainly at least at the outset thought he could easily dominate and run over very quickly but there's always been a lesson in many of these wars that are started by dictators or power-hungry leaders for no reason except their own devices their own their own goals that are not based on, on a t- an attack on some kind of a, an uprising on some kind of a on a revenge or or at least a response to something that happened i mean this is every time that happens we have seen that those that live in those countries put up a fight and many times most times Against great odds, and as this has been described and it is correct, in, in a David and Goliath type of scenario, the Davids prevail because they have something at stake. They are invested. When, when Vladimir Putin orders his army into the Ukraine, or, or Ukraine I should say, it's no more the Ukraine into Ukraine. What's what's the what's the point? At the end of the day, soldiers yes, soldiers follow orders, no question. But there's also something called incentive. There's also something called you know uh, having having stake in the game. to want to fight for some reason. Something like when we were bombed at 9 There was reason to go into Afghanistan. We stayed there maybe 20 years too long, but we were provoked. We were attacked at Pearl Harbor. We were attacked. There was justification. When we went into Vietnam, there was not justification. Soldiers were going there because they were told to, but they didn't know why they were there. They didn't know what they were fighting for. And at the end of the day, the Vietnamese who had something at stake, their homeland, defeated the mighty United States. And we saw that in Afghanistan in the 80s, against, once again, Russia, provoking a war for no reason, just wanting to take over Afghanistan and the Afghan people, ironically led at that time by Osama bin Laden, held back the Russian army. No small feat. In fact, many believe that the prolonged war in Afghanistan bled the Russian government of so much money and resources to keep that war going until they finally stopped, that they believe that that was a major reason for the downfall of communism because Russia invested so much money and didn't want to have the embarrassment of being beaten just like we did. Nobody learns from history. Nobody learns any lessons. We went into Vietnam not because anything that the Vietnamese did. We were afraid of what might happen. We were afraid of the dominoes falling during the cold war and if vietnam went to the communists well then so would all this other and the, the communist domination and the red scare and all that stuff and which all proved 50 years later to be nothing to be a myth we wasted 40 50 60 years of billions and dollar billions of dollars and hundreds and th- of hundreds and thousands of lives and uh, and, and, and 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 on um, you know, nuclear weapons and, and and espionage and all this crap that the Cold War was. And at the end of the day, communism and the Cold War ended not without with without one bullet being fired, not even a bullet. Forget nuclear weapons. Not even a bullet was fired when communism was ended throughout the Soviet Union. It was the people that ended it. They finally said, that's enough. But think about all the time and effort and money and lives and preoccupation that went on with that Cold War. But here, was, here on the world stage with Vietnam for more than 10 years, for all the world to see, of how we continued to lie about our progress and our uh, the status of the war, to continue to invest millions and sacrifice lives and bombings of innocent people for no reason, just because our reputation was being soiled on the world stage. Americans don't lose wars, but the whole world could see what was happening. And they all sat back and they laughed at us. But then, as so often happens, other countries are blinded by that same sense of superiority, and they—and even though they saw the example that we set, As bad as it was, the lesson was don't go into a country unless you have a stake in that, unless there is a real reason, because the people who have a stake will fight you back, no matter how big you are. Their grit, their patriotism, their tenaciousness, whatever you want to call it, they have a stake in that war against an invader. The invader doesn't. The invader is, is doing it for existential reasons, as a power grab, as just another checkmark. But the people that live there, they've got a stake in it. And they, we've seen that time and time again. When people really care about their country, They hold off the invaders no no matter how big they are. And ironically, Russia did not learn from our mistake in Vietnam. And they did the same thing in Afghanistan in the 80s. And it may have been a major flaw that led to the, it certainly contributed perhaps, into the ultimate fall of communism. Didn't learn their lesson. And so here we are, 30 years after that, And Russia seems to be making the same mistake again. Ironically, by once again, a Cold War autocrat, Vladimir Putin. Don't forget, when the wall came down, Boris Yeltsin became the president of the the new Russia. And he was open to democracy it's so frustrating to see what we did. For 60 years, we fought the Russians, uh, not man-to-man or with weapons, but through words, but we constantly told every the Russians how better our, our our system was. And then when they finally decided to give it a shot, after 50 or 60 years of all this Cold War posturing, after they finally said, you know what, maybe you're right, and they knocked down the wall in Berlin, and communism came tumbling down, and the Soviet Union, as it was known, was no more. Rather than America now saying, okay, well, okay, it took you a while, but you finally saw our way of thinking, and so now let, let's, let us help you. Because you're, you don't know how this system works. You know you want it. You know you weren't happy with your old system, your communist socialist system. So you want to give a shot at democracy. Okay, well, you know what? We will help you. So that you will always be an ally moving forward. So that you won't turn into an enemy. You are... You are coming to our side of thinking, that's great. Let us hold your hand. Let us show you after decades, after centuries of either being under the rule of a czar, of a monarch, and then being under the rule of an autocrat and a socialist system. Russians didn't know they, you heard the word of democracy, but they never had the freedom. They never really had the power of the vote. They didn't know what it meant. And so rather than us helping them to understand, to being right in there with them, we got all full of ourselves, po- you know, pounded our chests and said, see, haha, we won and we left them alone. Ah, figure it out yourself. You know what democracy is. Just go figure it out yourself. Major flaw. We should have been in there from day one, holding their hands, showing them all the facets of democracy, being there every step of the way to ensure that they never went back to an autocratic Totarial, how do you say that? Totarialism? System. But what did we do? We left them alone. We sadly left them alone. And suddenly, the average Russian person didn't really see what was so great about democracy in fact they said well i don't understand this at all at least before i had a job i had a place to live i don't really have that anymore i i don't get how this works at least you were they were they were they were in a paternalistic system they were always taken care of they weren't used to being able to do what they want to do, to have ambition, to have that entrepreneurial spirit, to have whatever, whatever that is that we know as the American dream. They didn't understand that. It wasn't their fault. They never had it as, as, a, as a country. We dropped the ball. We, were, we are responsible for, for, for Vladimir Putin. We helped get him in there and he's been a thorn in our side ever since. Rather than helping, we left them alone. My wife and I were in Russia about I don't know, maybe I don't know, 10 years ago now? No, uh, no, maybe no, not maybe not 10, maybe 7 or 8. And uh it's a beautiful country. We were in St. Petersburg. Beautiful, beautiful country. It, it still felt like it was painted up to look beautiful. I noticed as I walked the streets that the Russian people still seemed a little aimless. They, they, they still seemed, they, they had their freedom, but it, w- it was a freedom that came with, with many strings. And I spoke to some Russian people, our tour guide. Because I was very interested. Because I've, I've always had this feeling that we that we we dropped the ball when the wall came down. I've had that feeling since since the early '90s when it happened, when when the you know, late '80s, early '90s, that we were not getting in there on the ground in the trenches and making sure that democracy was explained and shown and put into action, and so that people could see how it works, why it works, and why it would benefit them. We never did that. Fatal flaw. And 30 years later, we're paying for that with Vladimir Putin now on this maniacal quest that he's on. Boris Yeltsin was open to democracy and we left we left and so you have to remember that vladimir putin is a former kgb agent he was born and bred in the soviet union system he believes in the Soviet Union system. He believes in the socialist, communist, Soviet model of government. He was born into it. He excelled in it. And so what happened was after a few years, the Russian people, were. they said, well, you know, uh this isn't all that great. And at least before I had, I knew I had a job, but I knew I had a place to eat. Or I knew I had a place to live. As I said, I spoke to our Russian tour guide and, and I was asking about the differences between now and in the Soviet system because this woman was a little older and so she lived in both. And she said at that time, seven or eight years ago, she said, well, the biggest difference is in the Soviet system, um, there was, you had a job, you had money, you had a place to live, but there, the, the shelves were empty. <laughs> we couldn't buy anything. We had to wait for hours. Those those stories were true about waiting in line for hours for bread and, and wanting blue jeans. The, the, the Soviet government was so focused on taking all the money that the workers provided and putting it into their defenses to be able to be this world power that their, the country itself was bankrupt. That's why communism fell so quickly, because... It was all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, there was a lot of nuclear weapons there. There was a lot of potential, you know, danger, no question. But in the day-to-day lives of the people that lived under that system, it was not a good system, and they finally rebelled. They finally realized, you know, what good is having all these weapons if I can't get a get a loaf of bread? And so that was the the reality during the Soviet domination. But then after the wall fell, after communism fell, after socialism fell, after the Soviet Union was dissolved, the new irony is that now there was quote-unquote democracy and capitalism, right? American companies, other companies from around the world coming in, selling their goods, wasn't just government issued food as it was under the soviet system right so so the the seedlings of capitalism were being were being um were being put into the ground but then the irony was that the shelves were full but the average russian person didn't have any money so at first you had Money, job, and place to live, not a great job, not a great place to live, but at least you weren't on the street. You had money in your pocket, but your money didn't really buy anything, because there wasn't anything there. But the other side of the coin was, after communism, after socialism, after the Soviet Union was gone, shelves shelves now, plentiful. Lots of different things on the shelves. It's all there for the taking. But now there was no industry. The government used to own all the factories and all the 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 jobs. Now the jobs were, were supposed to be coming in from entrepreneurs, outside companies, doing business. You just didn't automatically get a job. Now there was competition. And so suddenly people didn't have an automatic job. They had to find their own place to live and pay their own rent based on what they could afford. So f- 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 shelves stocked but no jobs. No economy. What good are the shelves if the, what good are the shelves being full if I can't afford to buy anything from them? And so many of the people, especially the older people who were in the communist system, said, well, wait a minute. What's so great about this democracy? The young people in the country were certainly for it because they, they were young and ambitious and wanted freedom. But the majority of the country was still older. They lived in the communist system, and they're looking around going, hey, I, 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 I don't see the benefit here. I don't have a job. I don't have any money to buy things. At least I had money before. Maybe I couldn't buy anything, but at least I had some money in my pocket. At least I had a roof over my head. And that was our fault. We didn't explain it to them. We didn't go in there with investments right away. We let them, we left them alone. And so what happened was as more people, especially the older people that were still driving that system still driving the the population 20 years ago they're looking around going you know what i don't think this democracy is all that it was cracked up to be and putin outwardly initially despite his pedigree of being a KGB agent, made it sound as if he was open to democracy. But it was, it was, it was very uh, quick into his, um, his tenure that he was a hardline communist, that he was a hardline socialist, that he was a hardline Soviet sympathizer whose ultimate goal was to bring back the glory days of the Soviet Union and that's what he's been slowly doing. You know, there was, he even he even played the the the, the, the sham of, of of being president for two terms and then not being president. And he was there for what four years where he was gone, but then he was prime minister or something and then he changed the rule and now he's going to be president until he dies. That's called a dictatorship. There are no there the, the, the there's no more there's no more hints or or facades of democracy here. That was our fault. And so now here we are in (laughs) 2022. And I don't know about you, but I've been watching this, listening to this. And, you know, for months we've been hearing about this potential invasion and president Biden and his team was talking about, um, you know negotiating and diplomatic we are we are pursuing diplomatic uh you know avenues here to stop this and they knew all along that this was not posturing by putin as i told you the posturing has been going on for the last 20 years now he's almost 70 years old he needs in his mind i need to make my move i need to 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 um you know, to 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 cement my legacy. I mean, on the on the world stage, he will always be viewed as a tyrant. There's no question about that. But he doesn't care about that. In his mind, under the Soviet system, which has always been a closed society, all he cares about is how he's viewed in the Soviet Union and his legacy within the Soviet Union. They have you know news blackouts and everything very isolated country always has been he's not worried about his reputation around the world that's not his goal his goal is his reputation in his country he's writing the narrative and he's acting to fulfill that narrative when i spoke to this tour guide who was a a very bright woman she was, a, she was formerly a schoolteacher. This is my point. She was a schoolteacher in the old Soviet system. Now in the democratic, supposedly more open system, she was a tour guide. Nothing wrong with a tour guide, but it doesn't have the stability. I'm sure it doesn't have the income. Or the prestige of being a teacher, she—you could tell she was, she was a very intelligent woman. She she knew she was an amazing tour guide because she knew, and you could see though in her delivery, she was a teacher. She she enjoyed this. It, it it was a it was a good choice for her, but you know darn well that she probably would have preferred to be in a classroom than with a bunch of American tourists. You know she would have been probably much happier and fulfilled teaching Russian students rather than talking to American tourists. That's my point about the stability of it. So take this one for example. She was a school teacher. She had stability of a job, uh, of of a profession. She went to university, which was paid for by the Soviet government. She had a teaching job. I can't remember if she was a high school teacher or a college teacher, but a good job, right? In the new system after communism fell, I'm not sure what the situations were. She was a little older perhaps. They hired younger people to be teachers, and now she's a tour guide. So could she afford the same kind of apartment that she was that she had when she was a teacher? Probably not. Can she afford um to buy things the way she could before with the money that she made as a teacher under the Soviet system probably not so she's looking around going uh, all I know is that under the Soviet system I I my life was better and they looked at Putin as somebody that said I'm going to bring back our russian pride and our russian economy he hasn't done that not the economy But he certainly appealed to the Russian pride. Russian people are very proud people, as most people in every country are. And they looked around and said, I don't know. That old system maybe wasn't as bad as we thought it was. And Putin played upon that. But in 2022, we have to take some blame for what's happening right now on the world stage. We're all complaining now and, and uh, with, with, with just cause at the skyrocketing prices, especially for gas. As, we, as I speak to you right now, gas is at least $5 a gallon. A year ago, a year and a half ago, it was at $2. (laughs) Think about that. And who knows if if $5 is going to be the end of this. But I'll tell you this, folks. We have a role in that. We're paying the price, literally, for our acts of what we didn't do in the past. And we're paying for what we have done in the present. But before I get to that, let me just say one thing. I'm watching this over the last month or so, and all this posturing beforehand, and all this diplomatic, and we knew that Putin was going to invade. Everyone knew it. And there were these, oh, well, maybe he won't, everybody knew he was going to do it we're hearing stories about is he is he is he mentally uh, imbalanced well if you if if you if you're thinking that he's mentally imbalanced then why would you think that diplomatic avenues would work how do you how do you speak rationally to someone that you believe may be thinking irrationally so why would you why would you not expect him to invade he said he would invade, and he did invade, and we knew he would be invade. When I saw the pictures within the first couple of days, and even within the first couple of weeks, especially after the, the Ukrainian people were putting up a fight, which only made him more angry and, 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 he, and made Putin double down and, and intensify, the type of attacks and the weapons used and 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 create more destruction and firing on civilian targets and neighborhoods and buildings, and when you saw the rubble of the country and you saw the people fighting to get out and you saw people hiding and you saw these bombs going off and buildings on fire. Uh, Am I crazy? But tell me, didn't it seem, didn't just the idea of war look on your television screens that time like it was so outdated and so antiquated? Didn't you think by, by now in the 21st century, in 2022, doesn't it seem that we're past this? This idea of bombing and Taking over, it just—it's—it—it's it, it, it's such an antic. It seems to me, it, it just feels so old-fashioned, so antiquated, so outdated. I—you'd think that we were past this as a as a society on this earth. We got through the nuclear fears of the eighties and nineties. We got through all that, and thankfully. There was no nuclear bombs and nuclear wars that we all feared in the 80s and 90s. Thank God. But this idea even here of going into a country unprovoked, as I said, it's not like Ukraine was firing missiles. You know, you when you see, uh, you know, some of these skirmishes that we've had, you know, uh, you know, in in, in, in in Israel, I mean, they're firing back because they're being attacked. They're, uh, you know, you, you if somebody's throwing rocks at you, you, you just don't stand there. Ukraine didn't do anything. Putin just looked around and said, you know what, I think that would be easy to take back. His ultimate goal here is to reconstruct the former Soviet Union. Well, where do I start? Well, I think Ukraine might be an easy target, and then all of a sudden everything will fall. You know, my wife and I, we went, uh, we went on this eastern, um, a, on a cruise to the eastern part of the, of the world there. And we went to another area that's being mentioned. We've been, we were in Estonia, a former part of the ho- Soviet Union. Beautiful city, gorgeous city. Has, has been, has been overtaken. Its, its history is, it's a small country. Its history is just filled with being, being invaded and taken over throughout its history. But when we went there seven or eight years ago, it's a democracy, and it was a gorgeous city, and it was beautiful, and I would love to go back there. Now, I don't know if I could. We've been to Poland. Part of my ancestral background. My mom was Polish. We went to Krakow, and beautiful city. But its history is is filled with invasions and obviously it was a part of the Soviet Union. Obviously it was the first city to fall when Hitler started World War II. He invaded Poland in 1939. That started World War II. Unprovoked. Key word there, unprovoked. But in today's world, in 2022, in the 21st century, I don't know. It just it, when I saw these bombings and these tanks, I'm like, "We're still doing this. We're not past this." Those pictures could have if, they, if, if the pictures on the news of these of these tanks rolling through Ukraine, if the film footage, if the video footage on TV on the news was in black and white, you'd think you were watching something from World War II which, let's not forget, now was 80 years ago. Have we not moved an inch? Have we not learned a lesson by history in 80 years? Don't forget, World War I was supposed to be the war to end all wars. And 20-some years later, we had another one. And that was supposed to be the war to end all wars. and It only took 20 years to have another world war. And here we've gone 80 years and looks like we once again forgot our history. And there's been a lot of history that has been overlooked. As I said before, I think Russia has made a mistake as we're seeing they're they're not bulldozing right over Ukraine as they thought they would because the Ukrainian people are showing tremendous spirit and their president Zelensky is is could be right now uh, you know, uh, he could be, he could, he, he actually, if he came to the United States, he would be elected president <laughs> and he probably wouldn't be bad either compared to what we've got going now, but uh, the Ukrainian people have risen and I wouldn't be surprised That at the end of the day, they do prevail. I don't know what that will look like, but I would not be surprised. I don't know when it's going to be. It may be two months. It may be two years. But I would not be surprised ultimately if Ukraine holds its own. But sadly, a lot of destruction and a lot of death is going to sadly have to happen, I believe, sadly. So Russia has not learned its lesson. They went into a country unprovoked, just like they did in... Afghanistan, which did not turn out well for them, just like we did in Vietnam, which did not turn, turn out good for us, didn't learn a lesson. But we haven't learned a lesson either because we've been sitting back here. We haven't really taken a firm foot forward. This never should have happened. Russia is not a world power like it was. But we didn't, we didn't step up. We didn't learn our lesson from World War II. Don't forget, we did not get into World War II until 1941, two years after it started, and only after we were provoked and we were bombed by the Japanese. We got into World War I with great hesitancy and swore we wouldn't do it again. And that isolationist kind of view prevailed until we were bombed at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. But we, 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 were, we, we were watching. We watched in 1939 when Hitler moved into Poland. And we watched. When Hitler went into France, my wife and I have been to Germany, and we have been to Auschwitz, and we have been to Berlin, and many of the key German cities, and as I am, I'm a history buff, and we went into some exhibits, and it was it was shocking. I think we were, when, uh, I can't remember which museum we were in, um... But it was shocking. I, I still have the pamphlets. <laughs> but it showed the 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 speed by which Hitler was just trampling over these these great cities of Europe: Amsterdam, Poland, France, Italy. Steamrolling. Couple of days, boom, gone, done. In, in 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 German in German occupation, ran over them. You, you, when you saw the month by month territories that the German army, the German army was, was taking over, you couldn't believe how fast and the amount of territory Germany was taking over in World War Two, and we were not doing anything. Until we got bombed, and not even by the Germans. And so here we are in 2022. We've got a, a military guy in Putin who is rattling his swords, who is making threats, and not, even, and not even behind closed doors. It was, a, it was the worst kept secret on earth. I don't even know how you fight wars anymore. I mean, now we, we, when there is a war, we, we, we talk about when and who we're, we, we, there's no such thing as a sneak attack anymore. That certainly is a change in how warfare is done. But this was telegraphed for months, if not years. And in the last several months, we knew it was coming. And we still were talking about diplomatic, and come on, we knew that this guy was going to invade. He told us. He's always done it. His goal is to reestablish the Soviet Union. This is his first move. Should we have been surprised when he did it? Whether we like it or not, and I've mentioned this before, whether we like it or not, we are the police of the world. If you want to be the biggest and strongest country in the world, then it comes with a price tag. It comes with some concessions. It comes literally with a price tag. But there is everything that happens in the world falls on your plate somehow, somewhere. And so I guess my question is, I, I, look, I don't want us to get start another World War III, especially with someone like Putin, who you cannot trust as to where his mind is and will he use nuclear weapons. I understand the hesitancy. I understand the, the in theory, this idea of of diplomacy. I'm all for that. I, I am. I, I'm not. I'm all for for talking out rather than throwing a punch. I, I, that's 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 my view. So I understand that, but. Once again, if you are you have to understand of your role in the world here and you have to show your muscle. Most foreign countries, especially old school countries in Europe still respond to might. That's what they they don't. They don't respond to flowery speeches. They they respond to might. At the end of the day, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, with John F. Kennedy once again against Nikita Khrushchev of the Soviet Union, when we came very close to a nuclear war that could have ended everything, the reason why the Russian boats turned around was because JFK. put a stake in the ground, and showed his toughness. He was a great orator, but he also showed his toughness when he had to because that's what Russian people respond to. And ultimately, that's what Nikita Khrushchev responded to. He was testing Kennedy, and Kennedy proved that he would back up his words with force. We never backed up our words with force here with Putin. He he he's been in charge of this the whole time. We didn't arm the Ukraine. We didn't arm the Ukrainian people in the in the war. We didn't Why didn't we impose these sanctions on Russia 4 months ago? Not after they invade, before they invade to say, "Look, gang, you don't even think of this." And just to prove it to you, we're going to pull this, put the screws on you now. Once the once once the tanks start rolling, now you're stuck in this 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 great this great suck hole. If we were serious, we would have put sanctions on Russia four months ago. We would have been arming the Ukrainians a year ago. We would have been making. Decisions based on what Russia would have respected. And don't think, don't think, and this gets back to what I was talking about a little earlier, about the price you pay. If you don't think that the divisions in this country, especially shown now over the last two years with COVID, if you don't think that the way we have handled covid the way that we have treated each other, the way that we have divided this country over COVID and other issues, don't think that that hasn't had repercussions and has not been a contributing factor to Putin invading, because it has. And that's what I was talking about earlier, about paying the price. We are paying the price now for what we've been doing For the last 20 years, if not more of dividing, we are to the outside world. We are a divided country. We are a country in, in turmoil. We are a country in transition. We are a country in chaos. While we are the policemen of the world, we are not, we are not respected as we used to be. Other countries look around and saying they are just as screwed up, if not more than we are. Look at the way they're handling COVID. They're not united. But COVID, it was just the tip of the iceberg. But the way that we have been so divided between, you know, since Donald Trump was elected, on the world stage, for everyone to see how divided we are, and then from Trump right into COVID, Putin looked around and said, they are... Vulnerable right now. They're they're they've got they're they're not keeping their eyes open. So you know what? Now's the time to strike while they're distracted with COVID and politics and all this other division in their country. There's there's protesting. There's there's protesting in the streets. There's, there's murder rates. The there, that, that United States right now is in chaos, and if they are not keeping their eye on the ball, now's our time to make our move. And if you don't think that's what went into this, then you're not looking at things in a very realistic way. Because people say, well, why now? Why is Putin doing this now? Because of the state of the United States right now. This goes back, and everybody's, everybody's talking about you know, the divisions of you know, when Donald Trump and now with COVID. Certainly, those have been very obvious. The transparency of our democracy sadly allows that, and it is very pronounced. But I argue that you can go back to the mid-'90s when the divisions really started, We've always had divisions, but I believe that the real divisions can be traced back almost 30 years, especially most obvious, I think, during Bill Clinton's administration when Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House and came out with the Contract for America. He was basically laying down a gauntlet of, of, of why everything Clinton thought was wrong and everything that, that the Republicans thought was right. And it was, a, it was a stake in the ground. It was written out. It was, it was not just some theories. The Contract with America, look it up if, you, if you're too young or if you don't remember it, but look it up. Newt Gingrich, Contract with America. It was a, a checklist of things that the, that the House and the Senate were going to pass for the betterment of the country to bring back America. And it was, it was quite different from what Bill Clinton, a liberal-minded president, was pursuing. So that was really, to me, the real beginnings of what the divisions that we see now, the result of those, but I would say it wasn't just the election of John Donald Trump that was that was the most obvious and And those divisions that started in the '90s were were responsible for Trump getting elected, but it was the I would say at least in the 1990s. It probably can go back even further, but I, t- I think in terms of a real break, of a real, a real um, publicized break, because Newt Gingrich knew how to use the media for that. There's always been discord between the parties. It's been there for 250 years. But that contract with America really was a stake in the ground. You're on our side, or on their side. It became us and them, and it's been us and them pretty much ever since. You know, don't forget, after Bill Clinton comes George Bush. George Bush won the presidency by a Supreme Court decision, by a hanging Chad division. When we went into Iraq, very unpopular war. Almost felt like what what happened as I'm talking about right now, completely unprovoked. Divisions. When Barack Obama was elected president, the first African American. Divisions. You had the Republicans fighting almost everything he did for eight years. You had the birth of the Tea Party. Divisions. And then after Barack Obama, the election of Donald Trump. And then after Donald Trump, and during Donald Trump, COVID. Divisions. We have been seriously divided for decades, folks. It's not just been the last three or four years or six years. It's been decades. And we are now living the result of those divisions. And the last several years, at least the last five or six, where our divisions have been so prominently pasted around the world, no doubt influenced. Vladimir Putin, who's got his own agenda, who's been sitting and waiting, he's had these plans for years, I guarantee you, Just waiting for a crack and between the divisions of Donald Trump, exacerbated by then the internal divisions within our own country of race with the George Floyd incident, with protests and anarchy in many cities, calls to defund the police. Rising crime rates? And then COVID. And the division over masks and mandates and vaccines. And Putin is sitting there with his his invasion plans, his big Soviet reformation plan sitting in a drawer and just waiting to, for the time to come as to when it would be best to start to implement it. And sure enough, he said, you know what? I think now's the time. We've got a president now who is, is not acting tough on the world stage. And Putin exploited that. He exploited our divisions on COVID. He, dispo- he, he exploited our divisions on race. He exploited our divisions on Trump. He just—he dis- d- exploited our divisions on Obama. He dis- exploited our divisions on all this over the last 30 years, but certainly the last four or five or six. And now is the time. And so we are paying a price. Literally, we're paying a price at the pump and at, and at the grocery store, anywhere you go. I know my bills are higher for electricity and gas, in the home, I know that it's held a lot more to, to fill up my tank. I know milk is more expensive. I know my, my tab at the grocery store is more expensive. And we're paying now on a world stage in terms of our own standing. Because we our divisions... You can't, every, our, our enemies are exploiting them. We are, we are crumbling from within, and we better learn that. As I said many times before, the, the, the Roman Empire did not collapse by a war. They were not invaded. They collapsed on their own internally. And we're seeing the results of that, the implications of that. When we are not united, other countries see our vulnerabilities and take advantage of them. And right now we're paying the price for that. I hope this invasion ends quickly. I hope the Ukrainian people are allowed to, to reestablish their way of life I hope we can put Russia and Putin back into a little box without their plans of world domination again. And I hope I, the bigger thing is I hope we can we can see the 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 the, 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 the aimless and the useless um devastation that is happening here we have to once again learn a lesson folks i don't know if we're going to learn any lessons from covid which is a shame i hope we, i hope we can watch what's going on in ukraine right now and learn an important lesson and and wake up and say the devastation physically and emotionally and the human devastation 2 million refugees, 2 million people fleeing the country with nothing but a backpack, trying to get out, trying for the safety of their children. Bombs, destroying buildings, neighborhoods, schools, factories, even a nuclear plant. Rubble. This looks like a 100 years ago. And it's 2022, the 21st century. Are we not better than this? Isn't this idea of a war, of an invasion, of territory, of aren't these old antiquated? Hasn't COVID at least showed us that we are a global society? What we need to do is try to help people's lives get better we're seeing the the inequalities covid has 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 exposed those in so many ways that's actually a plus we should we should we should look at that and say okay now at least we we can see some of these things that we didn't realize before that we didn't want to see before but we we were forced to see them so now let's address them and try to work on them but instead we're reverting back to to dark age kind of thoughts of, of invading and territories and tanks and bombs. What? Have we not moved at all? History is, is there for us. Learn from the mistakes as well as the triumphs of what has come before you don't make the same mistakes. We should be looking at these pictures of Ukraine right now and saying this is unacceptable because this is, is putting pushing us back into the dark ages. Putin is a leader who thinks from the past. We have to get rid of these kind of people. We've got to show that there is no merit in this. So the next leader of Russia doesn't think tanks first, doesn't think bombs first, doesn't think about territories. What has Vladimir Putin said he will do with Ukraine? How will he make Ukraine and the people in Ukraine, their lives better if he takes them and makes them a part of Russia. Has he ever said anything about that? Have you heard word one about how Ukraine will be better off as a part of Russia? Of how he's going to improve their their lives? No! This is purely a land grab. This is purely a power grab. This is purely the playbook from World War II, from the German playbook. This has nothing to do with making a, a people's lives better. He hasn't told the Russian people how having Ukraine will make them better. This has nothing to do. This is a, a power grab. This is an ego grab. And that's what we should be talking about. We should be talking about how antiquated and out of date this whole idea of territory and invasion and bombings is in the 21st century. COVID has shown that we need to to make people's lives better. We have seen how fragile life is. Don't go out to deliberately extinguish lives we want to try to make people's lives better we've seen how people have died unnecessarily how this disease and this virus has taken over and killed people in record numbers almost a million in this country alone haven't we learned that that life is fragile and in the midst of this we've got somebody deliberately killing people for no reason For no reason, except ego and some pie-in-the-sky, antiquated dream of of a of recapturing, uh, you know, uh, glory of the past. This is folly. That's where we are falling behind. We are not showing the world the example, and we better start doing it. Because if you think that this is just a one-shot deal, if, God forbid, Putin succeeds in this, wait till you see what starts popping around other places in the world. Wait till you see what happens with China and Taiwan, which has been bubbling for decades. Wait till you see what happens, perhaps, with Israel and its neighbors. We are the straw that stir the drink, folks, whether we like it or not. And if we don't show the world that we have our house in order and that we will take steps to make sure that the world's house stays in order, then we will have ultimate chaos. We will, we will be reverting back to a mindset of the Middle Ages instead of moving forward with a hopeful and, a, and, a, and a, an enlightened view of the future in the 21st century. This has been a tough century so far, folks. The first 22 years have not been good. <laughs> it started literally the first second of the, of the 21st century. The first second of the year 2000 was filled with fear and, and, and uncertainty thanks to Y2K remember Y2K the first second of this of this century the first sec the first century of the first second of the year 2000 we were afraid that planes were going to fall out of the sky that that electrical grids were going to collapse when the stroke of midnight came that's what ushered in the year 2000 and that fear has been continuous for the last 22 years. A year after, uh, a year and a half after the year 2000, we had 9 11. And everything changed. And it's never come back. We better unite, folks. What we do counts. We should look at this, this invasion right now. And understand that we contributed to it. That's the hard truth. We, How we act has consequences on the world stage. The rest of the world is watching us. We shouldn't take pride in our divisions. We should be looking for ways to solve them. war. (laughs) I'm looking at it now, and I am asking that question that Edwin Starr asked. What is it good for? And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday a new episode is posted at WGNradio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Don't forget. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you've enjoyed episode number 303. I'm Jim Toronto. I am here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen. Huh. Good God, y'all. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again.